Here's what the word says in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall be the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. All right, this morning we're in Galatians 3, 1 through 9. I know we've been working our way through the book of Romans. And uh, this morning I decided I wanted to take a look at uh, a brief part of Galatians 3. The reason we're doing this, number one, is I felt like it. What am I going to tell you? I, I felt like it. Secondly, you know, Galatians, interestingly, is sort of the, in some ways, and I was oversimplifying, Galatians in some ways is sort of the Cliff Notes version of Romans. So if you say, I'd really like to read Romans, but that's 16 whole chapters. Well, read Galatians, and you're going to get quite a bit of it. And it's interesting, as we're working our way through the book of Romans, I'm constantly thinking of the book of Galatians. And I thought this morning, sort of as a a part of our working our way through Romans, was to look at some of the things that we see in the book of Galatians, specifically Galatians 3. Uh, 1 through 9. So this week and next week, we won't be in Romans. Next week is Easter. We're going to look specifically, as we often do, at the resurrection of Christ. So uh, you can read ahead in Romans if you want. So let's start with this. We have a problem with God. We have a problem with God. And when I say we have a problem with God, I don't mean the culture has a problem with God. I don't mean your atheist friends or coworkers have a problem with God. I don't mean... Um, People that you know that go to other churches have a problem with God. What I'm saying is generally humans have a problem with God, whether you're a believer or not a believer, whether you're a well-read Christian or a not well-read Christian. uh, We have a problem with with God. And it's a complicated problem, but I've decided to sort of summarize it in two primary areas. So here are the two ways we think about God that are problematic and then we're going to look at Galatians 3, 1 through 9, and hopefully we can see how the Scripture should rattle our cage a little bit to think about God more accurately. So here are the two problems we have with God, the two ways we think about God that are problematic. Number one is humans tend to think of God as impersonal. He's not a person. God is a force. God is a vibe. God is karma. God is the universe. God is Mother Nature. God is simply a word that humans have used to sort of try to characterize this unseen force that seems to be happening around us. And we've seen this throughout history. People have tried to figure out how to capitalize on this unseen vibe, frequency, universe, mother nature, karma, whatever it might be called in whatever culture it might be called. And so what we try to do is figure out what levers do I have to pull to get the universe to line up for my benefit? 
Okay, and I've made fun of this as example as a lot. So we, we pay it forward. So we buy somebody's coffee at Starbucks because that's the vibe of the universe. So now the universe is going to be lined up with me. And, you know, I might suggest your God of the universe is a little cheap if you can buy him off for a cup of coffee. But, but throughout history, we tried to do this. What are the ways we line up ourselves in, in mysticism or uh, what ways do we get the universe to work for us? And you can, you can go online and Google all kinds of ways to how do you get the universe to give you what you want. And it's gonna, and all of it is how do, what levers do I have to pull? And this is where we get ideas of magic. This is where we get things throughout history of sorcery. It's just simply, if I make this incantation, if I uh, do uh, this particular procedure and then something powerful uh, is going to happen. And so that's one of the problems we've got. And of course, as Christians gathered in a church today, you're saying, well, thankfully, I don't do that. Really, do you have any routines that if you don't do them, it makes you crazy? Well, God's going to judge me because I didn't read my Bible today. Well, that's kind of a, what lever do I have to pull to get God to line up on my side? If so, I got to follow uh, these particular uh, routines. So that's one of the problems with God. We think He is an impersonal force that I got to try and figure out how to get this impersonal force uh, to benefit me in some way. What's the other way we think about God that's problematic? We think He is personal. We believe He is a, a person. Uh, he is a being, a person, but He's really, really upset about something. Uh, like He's all wound up, and so He needs to be appeased. And so throughout history, we've been looking for ways to appease God. And it becomes a running joke in movies. Who are they going to throw into the volcano? Because this great angry God of the volcano has to be appeased. So what we're trying to do when we have this personal God is he seems upset about something and I need to appease him. So what do I need to do for him to keep him from smiting me? Or even better, to get him to do something for my benefit. So I, I know there's a God there. I think he is personal. It's not just this impersonal vibe or frequency of the universe. There is a personal God, but I need to figure out what I must do to get him to, to not be mad at me, to not punish me, and, and maybe even, maybe even, I could get him to do something for my benefit. Okay, what do we call this as Christians when we want this great deity to do something on our behalf. We call that prayer. We go to God and say, God, would you please give me this? God, would you please provide this? God, would you please heal this? God, would you please intervene in this situation in which I have no control? So we come before God in prayer. So what, how are we approaching God in prayer in a way that's meaningful, that's going to be beneficial? We have to do it in a way where we understand who God really is. So let's begin, in fact, not in Galatians, but in 1 John. Uh, there won't be any scriptures on the screen. You can look up there all morning long. There won't be one, unless Al just decides to throw a scripture up there. He's tempted. He's got, he's running, running through his mind. He hung himself and he fell headlong into the field and his intestines burst out. Why is everybody laughing? Okay. 1 John... 1 John 5, 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Verse 14. 
This is the confidence we have toward Him. This is the confidence we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked for Him. So the way we encounter God is not this impersonal force where we're trying to pull levers. He is not a person who must be appeased. In fact, what we are going to argue is that God hears. Why does God hear? What happened to repair this situation where God doesn't seem to hear and now he hears? See, here's the the other problem we have when we step away from our Bible. In the two problem situations, the impersonal God and the personal God, the fix seems to be with us. With the impersonal God, we have to know the chant or we have to know the routine to get this force to work on our behalf. With the personal God, I have to know what must be done to appease him. The biblical God is the one who fixes the situation, not us. God of the Bible isn't waiting for us to restore the relationship. In the God of the Bible, he is the one to take action to fix the relationship with us so that we can seek him in prayer and be be heard. So one of the problems we have with God is we think the problem is we need to fix the problem. When in reality, God is the one who needs to fix the problem. So that's where we come to Galatians chapter 3. We have a problem with God, we misunderstand what He is like, and we misunderstand the solution to the problem. God is not an impersonal force. God is not a God who needs to appease in that way. And the fix is not with us. The fix starts with Him. So, let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse... What did I say? Verse 1? Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. God promises that those who seek him in prayer are heard. So, who inherits God's promises? That's the question we're going to answer this morning. Who inherits God's promises? The first kinds of people that inherit God's promise is this. Who inherits God's promises? Those who are spiritual. Who inherits God's promises? That he hears us when we seek him in prayer? Those who are spiritual. This is a growing religious uh, segment of our culture as they do the uh, research uh, every year. Pew Research does it. And one of the fastest growing segments of our culture is people who say they are spiritual but not religious. Spiritual but not religious. This is an effort by individuals, I think anyway, to connect with this notion that in every single person there's an understanding that there's an immaterial spiritual world that's both we are a part of and we uh, know God is a part of. So I want to uh, be a part of the spiritual world without the constraints of a God who is sovereign. Wouldn't that be great if we could be spiritual without God who insists on being God? So that's what spiritual but not religious means. I want to be spiritual without the constraints of a sovereign uh, God. But here we're going to look in the scripture and see how God defines spiritual. In fact, what we discover here is being spiritual is a matter of faith in Jesus. Being spiritual is a matter of faith in Jesus. This doesn't sound complicated, and I know you're in a church on Palm Sunday, so you probably know this information, but here you go. You ready? How do you know if you are spiritual? Being spiritual is a matter of trusting in Jesus. 
It is not a matter of good behavior. It is not a matter of enlightened thinking. Being spiritual is a matter of faith in Jesus. Look at verse 1. Here's a verse you don't often write inside a greeting card. Oh, foolish Galatians. Then what you could do in quotes is put the person's name. If you're looking for tips here. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He said, don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. Jesus is crucified. That is all we need for life and spirituality. He's assuming here the resurrection, obviously. He's saying Jesus crucified is all we need. Since Jesus died, what else do you need to do in order to take care of the problem in your relationship with God? See, in the problems we think about God, we think, what do I have to do to get God to hear me? And God goes, I sent Jesus. What do you mean what do you need to do? I don't know. What what kind of question is that? He's saying... Who has bewitched you to think that there is something more to your spiritual life beyond Christ crucified? I don't care how big a deal you think you are in the Christian world or in, the, in your relationship with God. God sent Jesus. He did more than you. Right? What, what gets into our head that we think we've got to earn God's favor? He sent Jesus. And he didn't just send Jesus. He sent Jesus to die. And he didn't just send him to die. He sent him to die on a cross. Who has bewitched you into thinking there is something you must do to get God to hear you? What does it mean to be spiritual? To recognize God did it all. He sent Jesus. What's left to be done? Trust Jesus. That's what it means to be spiritual. What will law keeping, what will good behavior, what will keeping your nose clean do for you more than Jesus did for you? Nothing. In fact, what he is saying here is this. There is a chance that when we, through efforts on our behalf to earn God's favor, we in the end will need to understand. I said that incorrectly. Here's Here's what I'm trying to say. Would somebody tell me what I'm trying to say? In trying to earn God's favor, in some ways it shows us we're not really trusting Jesus. See, this is what's, what I think is so funny about Christians. I, I get this question a lot, and not from this group. People go to other churches. If I did this, can I still be a Christian? And it's some nefarious, terrible sin that would get them in the news, right? If I did this, can I still be a Christian? Here's what I think is really interesting. Certainly, we, need, we don't want to make light of sin, but here's the deal. The Bible is more concerned about what you're doing righteous. The, the issue is... How could you say you trust Jesus if you're working so hard to earn God's favor? Isn't that interesting? Usually we think the really, really problematic people in the Christian world are those evil sinners. No, the problem, especially in the book of Galatians, is people who want to earn their way to God. And the answer is, why are you trying to earn your way to God when Jesus died? Who has, who has bewitched you? Don't be a fool. There's a song on the radio my family's getting tired of me having Christian radio on because all I do is rag on the songs that play. There's this one song, I can't remember the line. The guy says something like this. And I'll try to be nice. No, I won't. Um, I need a breakthrough miracle. That's one of the lines of the song. It's actually a catchy tune. Yeah, I don't hate this. I hate this song. Here's the, it's just that one line. I need a breakthrough miracle. Okay, two problems. Number one, breakthrough. 
Been reading my Bible for a few days now, just can't find it. This has become like the new Christian term. I need a breakthrough? I just, I just, I've been looking for the breakthrough. I don't. Why is this a word we're using? I don't even know what that means. What's, what's a breakthrough? Okay. None of that. <clears throat> I don't even know what got me on this. Here we go. I need a breakthrough miracle. And what, what pops into my head is something Jesus said. Oh, you wicked and adulterous generation who is always asking for a sign. And finally, there's this. I need a breakthrough miracle. And here's, here's the, the actual answer that I think is most telling. Was the resurrection of Jesus Christ not miracle enough for you? I'm sorry. So you need a miracle today? The Son of God walked out of a tomb. Oh, but that was a long time ago. I don't get it. Throughout all of Israel's history in the Old Testament, whenever people were confronted with the realities of their lack of faith in God, what did they always refer to? You'll notice it over and over again. The parting of the Red Sea. But that was a long time ago. So what were they they supposed to do because it was a long time ago? Make big piles of rocks. So when they're walking around, so when they're walking around, the kid was the dad, what's with that big pile of rocks? What's the dad supposed to say? Oh, remember, back in the day, the Red Sea part, we walked right across the Red Sea. It was amazing. God does miracles. But, Dad, it's been a long time since miracles uh, have happened like that. And what's the Dad supposed to say? God hasn't changed. We need to recall the great miracle, the Red Sea, for the people of the Old Testament. We need to recall God does miracles. What kind of miracles? He raises the Son of God from the tomb. Don't be a fool. Jesus crucified and raised from the dead is all we need. What else are you looking for? What are, what are you waiting for on your list of things that God must do for you to be okay with him? He sent Jesus, died on the cross, raised from the dead. You're squared away. If he never does another thing for you, he did more than you could ever imagine. Don't be a fool. But we, we, and let's confront the realities of our own heart. We are, are this way. We're praying for things. We have significant things that we need God to show up on. And we, and, and we wonder, we question, we doubt. That's all good. Read the Psalms. He does that a lot. But what we need to recognize, who inherits God's promises? Those who are spiritual. What is a spiritual person? A person who trusts Jesus. Dead, buried, raised from the dead. Verses 2 and 3. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by faith? Ask yourself that question. When you got saved, did you get saved because you were good? No. When you got saved, you got saved because you recognized your sin and needed uh, forgiveness. And so we are saved by grace through faith. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? We heard the gospel. By His grace, we believe. Amen? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? If you got saved by grace through faith, how were you becoming more like Christ? Through your effort? No, 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 absolutely not. Don't be foolish. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself like Jesus. It is, I am made more like Christ today by trusting Jesus. The means by which I get saved... Trust Jesus. The means by which I become more like Christ, trust Jesus. The means by which I step across the threshold of glory into heaven one day, trust Jesus. It's all faith, past, present, and future. How do we get saved? By faith. How do we live as Christians? By faith. 
We can't earn heaven. We can't earn becoming like Jesus. It's all a work of the Spirit by faith. If you've been a Christian more than 10 minutes, well, maybe a year or two, I don't know, however long it's been for you, maybe you think back on that time in your life where you would say, you know what, there was a period in my life where my relationship with God grew exponentially. I just, I felt closer to God than I've ever been. I was saying no to sin I had never said no to. I was bold in my evangelism. I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was encouraged. Whatever it might be for you. Think back to that time in your life where, where you, you saw God working in your life in a powerful way. And then ask yourself this question. What did you do to make that happen? For most of us, and maybe it's not for you, for, but for, for my life and the, and the people I talk to, usually those things happen as a result of something that happens in your life. And usually they're not good things. Usually the wheels come off a of life. You're faced with what the Bible calls suffering. And you are encountered that path of do I go into despair or do I trust the Lord? And by his grace, he allows you in that moment to say, I'm going to trust you, Lord, in this great difficulty. And then you see fruit of the spirit in life like you hadn't seen before. So what made it so that you were suddenly seeing God in a new way? It was God by his spirit using the circumstances of your life and the power of his word to lead you into repentance and to become more like Christ. Our life of Christ as Christians is by faith, by the Spirit, day in and day out. How do you get saved by faith, and how do we live saved by faith? Okay, look at verses 4 and 5. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it was indeed in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Christian, we need to, he's asking us these questions that we're supposed to ask ourselves. Why does God work in your life? Why is God paying attention to your life and seeking to do a work in your life? Is it because you're good? Is it because you have profound potential? Is it because you're gifted? Is it because he has no other options, really? The world is going to hell in a handbasket, and he's running out of people to work in, so he's stuck with us. Why does God work in your life? Because he has seen fit to do so, and you trust him. It's a matter of faith. Here's what some of the believers in Galatia were doing because there was an influence of a, a religious crew that was coming in and saying, yes, you ought to be Christians, but good Christians don't eat this, drink this, do these kinds of things on the weekend. And I'll let you fill in the blanks for what those things might be for you today. But uh, good Christians don't eat this, drink this, do these things. And good Christians do the following things. Get circumcised is for one example. No, 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 you're not getting circumcised to get saved. You're getting circumcised because you are saved. But of course, if you don't, you're not really saved. And so as a result of this difficulty, the believers were deciding to sort of mix in their saved by grace through faith alone routine with a little bit of got to impress God with some religious routine because it keeps the religious people off our back. 
It keeps the religion, you know, it's not a big deal. No, I'm not getting circumcised to become a Christian, but boy, it sure keeps these religious people off my back. Okay, no, obviously saying, uh, not, not drinking a beer with my dinner at the restaurant, uh, that's not a big deal, but, but, but you know, it's just a big hassle. Because what if somebody ch- from church sees me? What do they say is the biggest difference between Presbyterians and Baptists? Baptists can dr- have to drink their beer at home, and Presbyterians can drink at the restaurant. It's annoying, right? And infant baptism, apparently. <laughs> so Christians have, here's all these things. And what they were doing is, you know what? Religious people, I don't know if you know any religious people, they can be a little bit in your face, and boy, everything's a big deal. I mean, it's like everything's such a big deal. Everything is a, a litmus test of your salvation. I mean, we have all kinds of litmus tests nowadays as a Christian. If you don't vote according to the voter's guide that's put out by the family council, oh, it got quiet. Then you, how could you be a Christian? If you have certain views on economics, certain views on politics, if you have certain views on what ought to be done in the church, things that the Bible doesn't discuss and there is wide open uh, discussion on because the Bible doesn't have any say, yes or no, you have to do church on Sunday mornings. Yes or no, you you can do church on Saturday night. Uh, You have to do communion every Sunday. You can't have more than one service. No, I'm serious. These are debates that are had. And, and if you believe sideways of me on any particular one of my pet issues, I'm going to question whether you not are a believer. And so what we find ourselves doing is, it's just a little bit easier to go with the flow. And, and the Apostle Paul and the power of the Spirit says, I'm not going with the flow. I am saved by grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, and don't come at me with your list of things I have to do or don't do. You can come at me with the Bible. But don't come at me with what good Christians do or don't do. Who does, why does God work in your life? It's not because you're good. It's not because you have potential. It's because he has seen fit by his power to bring you to the place where you say, I trust you, Jesus. And when you do that, when God moves in you, you say, you know what? I trust Jesus. He's going to get me from dead to glory. You are, by definition, spiritual. He said, no, no, I know people at church that are really spiritual. They pray really pretty prayers. Sometimes they put their hands up in church. Um, they're always happy. No, even when things go bad, they, they don't seem to have any big sins. Those people are spiritual. What, I'm just going to remind you again. What makes you spiritual? Trust Jesus. What if I just trust him like 10 minutes ago? Welcome to the spiritual family. Who inherits God's promises? Those who are spiritual. Who is spiritual? Those who have trusted Jesus. I'm going to end this section with this. Too many of us as believers get saved by faith and live our Christian life by diligent works. And many of us are being crushed by it. And the Bible is quite clear. We get saved by faith and we live our life in Christ every day by faith. It's faith all the time all the way to glory. Let me ask this question before we go into... Let let me touch on one little Bible trivia thing that's going to annoy many of you. That's my gift. (laughs) Verses 5 and 6. I've divided our little section here in in, uh, 
at the end of verse 5. It's annoying some of you because I've divided our, the section right in the middle of a sentence. It's bothering you. Some of you, you almost stormed out. You're like, okay, I can real, deal with a lot, but I can't deal with bad grammar. Okay, here we go. The Greek manuscripts that we work from, they don't have any punctuation. And most of the time, they don't have any spaces between the letters. Why did they do that? Because those things were expensive. Ink and paper were really, really expensive. So to conserve space, they would write it all crammed in. And so when our Bible translators are working through this, one of the things they have to decide is, where does the sentence end and where does the sentence begin? Because there's no period. And so our Bible translators are split on this particular one. It doesn't change the meaning. But here's how I like to read it. Since I'm standing up here, I'm right. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Question mark. And now we're going to start a new paragraph in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Okay? Who inherits God's promises? Those who are favored. Who inherits God's promises? First of all, is those who are spiritual. Who inherits God's promises? Those who are favored. When God looks at you, what is his attitude? What's his vibe? In order to inherit God's promises, he has to see you and favor you. In order to inherit God's promises, he has to see you and favor you. What does it mean to be favored? Uh, throughout ancient times, the, the oldest son was the favored son. Normally inherited twice as much as everybody else. But we ought to pay attention throughout the scripture. The father really could pick any of his kids to be favored. In fact, there are also occasions in the Bible in the Old Testament where the father picks a daughter as his favored to be his, his heir. So even the ancients understood this notion of being favored. So what does it mean to be favored? You show up to work. Maybe you know people like this. You see one person at work and you go, oh man, they're here. And the mission of the day is to not have verbal interaction with that person the whole day. That's the mission. How do I not have a conversation with that person? Because it will suck the life out of me. Then you see another person and you're just lifted up. Oh man, I can't wait to go see, what, see what kind of weekend they had. Get, have you had these experiences? Have you had this experience this morning? Probably, that's what church is for. So who inherits God's promises? The people that God looks at and he goes, oh man, I want to hang out with that person. That's who. If you aren't that, you will not inherit his promises. So what's the next question? How do I get God to look at me with that kind of favor? To gain God's benefits, to inherit God's promises, you must be a favored child. That is only gained by trusting Jesus. Same situation. You, are not gain, you don't gain God's favor by being a good child. You don't gain God's favor by being well-disciplined, well-behaved, smart, a good reader, a good, good at making uh, public prayers. I don't know whatever your measuring stick is. God favors you if you trust 
Jesus. Look at verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Where is that quoted from? That's Genesis 15.6. Abraham is first mentioned in Genesis 12. So God, uh, Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. This occurred long before he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. That's Genesis 22. That's a long time away. This also happened before he sinned by disbelieving God, by sleeping with Hagar, by offering his wife to another dude. When did his righteousness occur? When he believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. It was prior to his obedience, and it was prior to some significant sin issues in his life. His righteousness was a result of faith. It is not righteousness that he received because of anything that he did. He was imputed righteousness. It was put into him by God. He was made righteous because he trusted God. So who inherits God's promises? Those who are favored, which is those who trust uh, Jesus. Look at verse 7. Now, then. No, I should say no. I can't read. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. How many sons of Abra- does Abraham have? Abraham has many sons. <laughs> what about Ishmael? Was Ishmael his son? Ishmael was not a son of the promise. What about all the sons of, the, of Abraham that he had after his wife Sarah died? Because he had other wives after Sarah died and they had sons. What about, are those sons of Abraham? Who are the sons of Abraham? Those who believe. Now the nitty-gritty theology is this. The, the covenant promises to Abraham went through Isaac. And through Isaac came the Messiah. And the Messiah comes, dies at the cross. We trust Jesus. And when we trust Jesus, the Bible describes us as in Christ. Since we are in Christ, we are therefore what? Sons of Abraham. And that's what Paul is saying here. Those of faith are sons of Abraham. Did God favor Abraham? Yes, because God gave Abraham the covenant promises. So since we are sons of Abraham, we are favored by God because we became sons by trusting Jesus. So who inherits God's promises? Those who are favored. Have you trusted Jesus? If the answer is yes, you are favored by God just as Abraham was favored by God. Look at verse 8. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And that's Genesis 12. Let me look it up. Genesis 12, 3. If you want to look it up. I'm not going to read it. So in Genesis 12, 3, God promises to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. We know that is through Christ. And so God is saying here, uh, Abraham heard the gospel early on. The good news, you can be favored by faith alone. And this intentionally includes Gentiles. The nations are blessed, favored through Abraham when we trust Christ. It anticipates the salvation that is communicated in the gospel. Jesus died for sinners and gives us new life through his resurrection. Verse, verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, favored, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Who inherits God's promises? Those who are favored. 
Who is favored? Those who trust God like Abraham did. We look forward to, we look back, I should say, we look back to Christ in faith, and in so doing, we join Abraham in being those among the uh, blessed uh, covenant receivers. We receive the promises of God, favored status because of the work of Christ when we trust Him. To be favored is to inherit the promises of God as children of Abraham. Who inherits God's promises? Those who are spiritual, those who are favored. Who is spiritual? Those who trust Jesus. Who is favored? Same answer, those who trust Jesus. It's it's not complicated, is it? We like complicated. We want to be impressive. The gospel has no room for impressive. The gospel is a message for unimpressive people who are looking to an impressive Savior. If you want impressive, you don't need the gospel. Go do impressive somewhere else. Three questions, then we'll be done. Do you want God's favor when you meet him after you die? I should hope you do. If you want God's favor when you meet him after you die, and you say, well, how do I know if I will meet him after I die? The book of Hebrews makes it quite clear. It is appointed for man once to die. How many times? Once, unless you're Lazarus. Give it a minute. Once to die, and then face judgment, then to face God. And in that moment, I don't care who you are, I don't care how religious you are, irreligious you are, in that moment, you are going to want God's favor real bad. If you want God's favor when you meet him after you die, then you trust Jesus before you die. God favors, God blesses, God grants righteousness to all who trust Jesus for forgiveness. End of story. This is for those of us who might consider ourselves Christians here today. To be spiritual, let me, two things it's not related to the problems we had with God. To be spiritual is not mystical. Sometimes we want to feel spiritual. I want to feel God is near. You realize your feelings have nothing to do with God's nearness. God's nearness has everything to do with Jesus. It, whether you feel it or not is it's a data point that is a non-factor and so to be spiritual is not mystical to have something bad to you and be able to float through the the things of life when bad things happen people feel bad that is not an equation that determines God's nearness God's nearness is determined by Jesus also to be spiritual this is going to bother you and you're going to argue with me some of you is not about being well behaved To be spiritual is not mystical, meaning a vibe. And to be spiritual is not be about being well-behaved. There's a, a couple of sins you struggle with that you said, I will be spiritual when X is no longer a part of my life, whatever that thing is, right? No, there's 10 other things that are also not good indicators of spirituality that you're not even thinking about because of that other thing. If you have to be well-behaved to be spiritual... Your toast. Just because I know you a little. To be spiritual, you need to be in Christ by faith. A spiritual walk with God is simply trusting Jesus every day. There you go. What's it mean to be spiritual as a Christian? Wake up this morning. If it weren't for Jesus, I'd be dead in my sin again today. But since I know Jesus... 
I wake up, my feet hit the ground as a righteous person. It doesn't even matter how bad the day before was. I wake up, my feet hit the ground. I'm righteous today. God, what does the, what does the psalmist say? His mercies are new most mornings. Good, you read your Bible. Okay, last one. This is a weird question, but, but I'm going to say it anyway. When you imagine God looking at you, and you say, well, I don't do that. Yeah, you do. Do you imagine that he looks on you with favor? When you think of God's personal disposition toward you in any given moment, do you consider him looking on you with favor, or, do you, or is the assumption that he is really peeved about something? The Bible teaches us quite clearly to be in Christ is to have him look on us with favor. In fact, what I said is still true. If he doesn't favor us, we're not in Christ. To be in Christ is by definition to be favored by God. Trust him, and that's exactly how God sees you every single day. Now, certainly being favored by God doesn't mean he's not on occasion going to say, we need to have a conversation about this. But that's a whole different kind of conversation than being worried that God's going to hit us upside the head with the back of his hand. And that's how a lot of us imagine it, because that's what dad did. And God doesn't do that. If we're in Christ, we are what? Favored. How often? Until the day we walk across the threshold of glory and we're favored forever with him there. Who inherits God's promises? Those who are spiritual. Those who are favored. That is, those who... Trust Jesus.